0: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for us at Keyword World Talk Radio. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio
1: Network.
0: Get ready to pump your energy and jumpstart your dreams with positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio on the world's most popular power hour, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. The Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan, and her sidekick, daughter, Heather Brittany, deliver lessons of success spanning the generations of the globe in their information packed T for Two, a mother-daughter brew. In other segments, Cynthia interviews real-life trailblazers, authors, and experts with the courage and vision who show you how to build a road to fulfillment through their unique books and services. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be informed and entertained. For your free lifestyle empowerment coaching session right here on the airwaves, turn up the volume, relax, sit back, and get ready to be inspired. Because Star Style, Be the Star You Are, starts
1: right now. Never stay never is right. And welcome to our sandbox. It is playtime. Hello, party partners. This is the Hour of Power. It's Star Style Be the Star You Are. I'm Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Brittany. And we are very happy to always be here with you every single week, bringing you the best I have talk radio. We want you to learn, laugh, listen, and to live your dreams because we are a show about following your heart. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by the Carmine Collection. Visit carminecollection.com for your personal handcrafted handbag, candles, and canvases, or call 925-785-7827. And the Miracle Moment is by Martha Graham. When weaving a blanket, an Indian woman leaves a flaw in the weaving of that blanket to let the soul out. So that's what we're going to do here today is we're going to let our soul out. And this is a program of all P's. We're going to be talking pelvic pain, pet projects, personality, and planting. You're going to get health tips, love tips, animal tips, and plenty of empowerment and inspiration. So turn up the volume and stay tuned. Well, our resident health professional, Heather Brittany, is going to talk to us about chronic pelvic pain. Is it no big deal or is it something serious? So, Heather, what are some of the common causes? What is it? Tell us about it. Exactly. Well, it's tough being a girl. <laughs> and chronic pelvic pain, there's so, it's
2: really, really hard um, for a gynecologist, a doctor in general, just to diagnose. There's so many different uh, symptoms. And many women um, often uh, get diagnosed or misdiagnosed. And sometimes um, the pain, and all pain never, um, excuse me, I mean, all pain is real. And and um, if they can't find the actual diagnosis for it, if they can't treat it, it's the way to manage it. However, with there being so many different things in life that contribute to pain, it's really hard for doctors to diagnose. So I'm just going to go over today some of um, the main, the, the most uh, common and some very serious as well um, kinds of chronic Pain, and if any of these symptoms sound familiar, I'd definitely advise to schedule something with your gynecologist or bring it up next time you're with your doctor. So the main, um, a lot of the most common and uh, chronic uh, kinds of pelvic pain are associated with endometriosis, dysmenorrhea, uh, chronic pain that dis- goes in the overall dysuria and dyspareunia. The two main ones I'm going to focus on are uh, endometriosis and dysmenorrhea. Um, the kind of side ones I noticed, dysperiunia, it means um, pain with intercourse, and the other dysuria is oftentimes associated with a urinary tract infection, and that's um, pain with urination, the frequency to urinate, and that kind of that uh, common need that you need to go, and you can barely go, and then you need to go again, that kind of almost fullness. Um, for the most part, those are um, just kind of slightly not reoccurring One, Usually just as I said, is, is associated with a urinary tract infection. And if you're getting frequent urinary tract infections, that's definitely something you need to go to your gynecologist um, or a doctor to see to find out to get on a kind of medication because there could be an underlying problem. Uh, what is considered
1: frequent, Heather? What is considered frequent? Is that monthly, weekly, think... once a year? Yeah, monthly. Yeah, I would definitely say monthly.
2: I mean, many things can contribute to a urinary um, tract infection. For when we always say, you know, having to take probiotics, um, you know, yogurt, drinking cranberry juice, lots of, um, you know, urinating frequently, urinating after intercourse, not staying in, um, if you ever, you know, swimming, not staying in uh, wet bathing suits, any kind of moisture, areas, or um, wearing underwear other than cotton, stuff that can irritate. The the regions down there, like tight jeans, is you know, like tight jeans jeans are bad, right? And definitely, those things can actually lead, um, you know, to yeast infections as well. But stuff that's in, uh, and that's one thing too. If anyone ever thinks they are going to doctor, thinking they have a urinary tract infection, if there's ever any kind of discharge associated, that is not a urinary tract infection. Just know urinary tract infections have no discharge associated with it, so um, kind of knowing their symptoms-wise. But oftentimes, um, reoccurring, it might not just be you. Oftentimes, people are on um, the body. Urinary tract infections is a bacteria, and so when we treat it, we're giving you an antibiotic, and there's so many out there, and there's um, certain ones that are just for urinary tract infections, but oftentimes, it's not until we get a urine culture back where we see that actually, um, the bacteria that uh, someone had, um, the antibiotic we gave to it, isn't fighting that kind of bacteria. So someone may have a reoccurring only because they weren't given the proper medication. So it's really trying to find out what medications work for you um, and then seeing what to treat with that and seeing if possibly any lifetime, a lifestyle changes or if there's an, an other underlying common going on. Um, but back to pelvic pain, um, the most kind of serious and chronic ones, and sometimes they go misdiagnosed as dysmenorrhea and endometriosis. So what dysmenorrhea is, is it's actually um, a condition of a lot of pain during menstruation. And oftentimes, you know, it's just kind of considered menstrual cramps or, you know, the painful you know, painful menstruation. Um, and what can be associated with that is it can be, you know, including SHARP, Throbbing pain, dull, nauseated, um, shooting pain in the pelvic area to the side. As I said, a lot of times women experience those intense, heavy menstruational cramps. And the symptoms, um, that usually occur, um, immediately or following ovulation. And it can last until the actual menstruation occurs. And a lot of people, um, miss they confuse the concept of menstruation versus ovulation ovulation is when an egg is first released from the phlobium tube it 's going to take those couple of weeks traveling down. If an egg is not fertilized if, um then it the will not become oven then it 's dropped, and what that is is a shedding of the uterine lining during your ovulation your um ovulational time. Your body is building a uterine lining and the and the process that it will be you know protecting an egg that will grow if there's nothing to if it's not fertilized, if it's just being released, and the uterine lining sheds and thus a menstruation occurs. For some people, this is an incredibly painful experience. Um, as I said, of this dulling and annoying pain, which also, um, as said, many things mock each other pain-wise. That's also the, the endometriosis, which is something that means um, the endo, as I talked about, or the uterine lining. Um, there's actually starts to be the uterine, uterine cavities grows on the outside. So there's this lining that's growing on almost on the ovary. So women with this, when it comes to period time, experience extremely, um, extremely sickening periods that they just, you know, want to double over and, and so much pain, um, the cramping is that it's, uh, located, you know, in pelvic-wise. And often a big thing, what causes is um, estrogen. So for many women, um, a good treatment for it can actually be to put them on birth control, um, whether it's for an actual controlling of, of birth. Many of you have ever heard some, some girls oftentimes will go on to pills or combine hormonal contraception, meaning there's a component of estrogen and progesterone. Um, just, you know, to help with acne or to help
1: with, uh, periods and cramps and all that. And Heather, actually, tell us what the difference between the estrogen and the progesterone are and wh- why you need one or the other.
2: Oh, okay, great, definitely. So, um, when you hear that both, um, both estrogen and progesterone are two hormones your body, as a woman, your body makes. And, and when it comes to, um, forms of contraception, we're making a synthetic, something to mock the body. What estrogen does is estrogen builds um, a uterine lining a, a sort of a wall and progesterone makes a thick cervical mucus um, both as uh how uh, and for example give pills for example for 3 weeks we're giving someone a combined hormonal estrogen and estrogen progesterone we're building that thick uterine lining uh we're building that uterine lining and that thick cervical mucus when they get to that third week, that's typically considered a period week, a placebo, the, the part of the pills that has nothing in it. When your body, after giving three weeks of hormones, um, all that period is, that perfect period we've synthetically created for someone, the, the drop in the hormone level is what causes the uterine lining to shed. Hence, when people aren't on any kind of contraception, that when their body is going through the ovulation and there is um, nothing to be uh, fertilized, there's no ovum, the egg isn't becoming an ovum, that period they get is a shedding of the uterine lining. Many times um, when women have very, very painful periods, sometimes we might take out that estrogen component and give them progesterone only. Um, progesterone, for the most part, um, it's not causing, uh, it's not going to be building that uterine lining. So when someone has a thin uterine lining, they're going to have very light periods. Um, hence, then, you know, that there's not going to be those heavy cramps. Some pills, the combined pills that have estrogen and, and progesterone, it's taken consecutively, meaning they're not allowing someone to have um, any any week off. That they're just continuously taking pills, continuously, um, you know, kind of oppressing a, a ovulation. Um, that's not gonna. That's gonna cause them not to have those painful periods. It's when um, someone who decides to give themselves a period or doesn't have access to the pills, when their body um, then begins to shed that urine lining, is when a painful period will occur. So. So for many women who experience endometriosis um, or dysmen- dysmenorrhea, meaning they're having a very painful period, we will put them on a combined, um, a combined birth control and estrogen and progesterone component, um, but having them considered cycling through, meaning they're not allowing themselves to
1: have that period um, due to pain issues. And I have a I- question, Heather. Yeah, does please. Does, um, with endometriosis, because I have known people who have had it and and who it was severe enough that it caused sterility in them. They were not able to have children, but they didn't even know it. They did not have any pain. So mm-hmm. does endometriosis, you know, is it always cause pain or not always? And is there a way that, especially if you are in the age of uh, giving birth, you know, where you're thinking you want a child, is there a way to test for it? Um Regarding
2: testing wise, I mean it, it definitely as an unfortunate thing is it can lead to infertility and more on the kind of the milder the milder things, you definitely you can go in with your OBGYN to have a pelvic exam and oftentimes sometimes you will get um cysts on their ovaries to have those examined as well too. And cysts are very, very common and normal um, it's only sometimes, and there are the potential that cysts can burst, and that can be very, very dangerous to someone. So, um, but oftentimes, when someone is on a progesterone-only birth control, that can kind of sometimes enlarge cysts or cause them. But on a very nothing to worry scale, um, as you're saying that some people you've known who didn't experience this intense pain, things can be mocked as something else. Um, a lot of times, people will have gastric things, saying they may have irritable bowel syndrome. They might kind of have you know what was um, embarrassing times or premenstrual spotting um, depression headaches um, sometimes pain within the legs um with uh, those kind of shooting pains um, in your legs and uh, thighs or back pain if there's anything um, concerning someone or that they're not getting a regular period or that they have any kind of family history of that Definitely schedule um, a, a pelvic exam. A lot of times, if someone's experiencing breakthrough bleeding, meaning they're getting they're spotting in between their periods, um, those can be signs too. Again, they can be signs of nothing. The body is a is a fascinating thing. Um, but if you have anything that concerns you, I would definitely schedule um, a pelvic exam with your clinician, with your ob and then they do can. Do you, go Heather? On- do you
1: get do you get stomach pains? I mean, is it at all like? Could it be, could uh, chronic pelvic pain even be related to colitis or anything like that? Or is it completely different? Do you know if people have that that low stomach pain where they have like a tightening or they feel, is that, could that be the well, endometriotic? Well, again, a lot, of, a lot of why it's so difficult in women
2: to properly diagnose uh, pelvic pain is there so many, it can even be, constipation, one thing, you know, we're constantly telling patients to take a probiotic. You know, not only is it good for urinary tract, but um, keeping bowel movements going, oftentimes, you know, pain when people think they're getting a pain to the side or sometimes after you drink um, caffeine, a lot of women will say they feel almost a a tightening in their ovaries, which isn't true per se. It feels that way, but it it isn't per se. A lot of times it can be a dietary thing, you're sometimes even medications, um, are not in a bad way interacting that the, you know to cause death or and that kind of interaction, but sometimes they don't sit well with the stomach or um, it's a reaction to something else that's in another medication you're taking and it's causing um, the side effect of it may be that it's causing stomach pain or back pain um, or it could
1: even be you know something in the pancreas. Um, well, what are the ages for women? What are the ages that women should start having? pelvic exams? Is it as soon as you become sexually active? No. So, you know, you over the history? years, I,
2: everything I always say with having that little star aspect next to it, based everything on your own personal and family history. But our new current guidelines, uh it used to be when you were 18 or three years after the first date of sexual intercourse. Now it's 21. doesn't matter if you've been, if you've never been sexually active or you've been sexually active since you were 13. 21 is when you should have your first well-woman exam, and that's a breast, pelvic, as well as the pap exam. Um, studies have shown that when we were doing pap the 18 or three years after intercourse, that, this, that the tissue is so delicate and so fragile that by us going in there and, and touching and looking at we may be getting false results because we're actually agitating the pap or we're over-papping. So age 21, and another thing, too, cervical cancer, many cancers are hereditary and Cervical cancer is not a family, a hereditary cancer. And um, so a lot of women are concerned that if their mother, had, that it's, that's unfortunately, not so good. The biggest thing of cervical cancer is HPV, human papillomavirus, which no one should ever dry, die of cervical cancer because when you have your pap, if we find abnormal cells, we follow up, and it takes about 10 years, um, except for those rare kids four, for an abnormal abnormal cells to develop into cervical cancer. So anytime you've gone in for your PAP and you've ever had abnormal cells, just please do whatever the follow-up. If they say we want to see you in one year for a repap or a colposcopy, whatever they ask, just follow up for it. It may be uncomfortable, but they know what they're doing and they just want to monitor the cells and make sure that nothing develops any further.
1: Well, hopefully, in this day and age, people have finally, after all these years of of information, hopefully people are now practicing safe sexual practices because besides using uh, using birth control, we do have to protect against the many different viruses and and diseases that are out there, which again can cause some of and these problems. So we're out of time, but wrap it up. Give us a final word. Yes, and definitely, and that leads in a real
2: quick that I didn't touch on of definitely. if you're being sexually active, um, whether you're in a monogamous monogamous relationship or not, to do um, whatever based on on uh, your lifestyle. Screening for STI, sexually transmitted infections, because chlamydia is um, one of the most prevalent bacterial infections. About 72% of the population have no symptoms. And if left untreated, it can lead to PID, which is pelvic inflammatory disease, which most commonly will also lead to sterilization. So just stay up on that. Get involved. It's your sex life. And uh, make sure to stay on top of your body. If, if there's any aches and pains you're ever curious about, just speak out your doctor just to get to the bottom of it.
1: Well, very good. Well, when we come back from break, we're going to be talking about our pets. It's, you know, our pets are part of our family. So, pet practices is coming right up. Heather, give out the website. Most definitely. We want you to go to be the
2: dot org, dot com, as well as Carmen Clutches, both with a K dot com.
1: Well, okay. So I am Cynthia Bryan. And I'm Heather Whitney. And this is Star Style Be the Star You Are. Stay with us, pets, right after this.
0: What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk radio show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. Be the star you are Light up the flame that burns You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
2: Be the star you are. You are the star.
0: Positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. It's the Power Hour on Star Style. Be the star you are. Now back to the show with the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan.
1: Well, you are the best when you are still with us. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful summer day here in California, and I hope that you are enjoying a great day anywhere around the world. Thanks for tuning in to World Talk Radio and Star Style Be the Star You Are, where the world comes to talk. We are available at Twitter, at LinkedIn, and Facebook, so we hope that you will tweet us, follow us, and like us. You can look for Cynthia Bryan. Or for Be The Star You Are. I am so excited to report that Operation Disaster Relief is really making a difference for the people in Joplin, Missouri. It was launched just a little over a month and a half ago by the teens of Be The Star You Are charity. And we started off with just a couple of authors who were guests on our radio show who wanted to donate books and now it is expanded to so many different authors and publishers that we have now shipped over forty thousand dollars in books and cards and games, and there are still people coming on board so it's really exciting If you would like to participate, you can go to b t s y a dot com That's Be The Star You Are. It's the charity website for teens. So btsa.com. And just so you know, if you make a donation of $25, we can ship five books. If you donate $50, we can ship 10. Or if you donate $99, we'll ship 28. So it's really, really a great way to go. So please do make a donation. Well, we all love our pets. Pets are part of family. And in today's segment we're going to be doing some pet projects. Our dogs, our cats, our birds and our other animals, they they become part of our household and they bring us unconditional love and entertainment. I know that with me, of course, I'm a little different than other people or my family is is I have a lot of barnyard animals. I that I adopt. I take in abandoned animals. So I have chickens and ducks and geese and rabbits and goats and belly pig and, you know, birds and fish and all that kind of stuff which I just love but most people have dogs and cats and with the steamy summer in full swing around the country pet owners really need to take the necessary precautions to protect their furry friends during the hot and the humid weather so what can you do in hot weather well first of all if you can bring your pets inside now None of my pets are in uh, indoor pets, No, neither the cats nor the dogs. I just have a policy. We have so many animals. Everybody's outside. But if it's really too hot, you want to make sure they're comfortable. Like the pig has a mud bath to go into. You know, the other animals, they can have the garage or they have a shady place that has a lot of water and that even a swimming, kind of a swimming hole. Now, if a dog has to be left outdoors for any length of time, they have to have access to shade, And some fresh, cool water is absolutely essential. When the temperatures and humidity soar, even those precautions may not be enough. So if your dog is panting or appears lethargic, he might have heat exhaustion. And other symptoms could include restlessness, excessive thirst, a dark tongue, a rapid heartbeat, or lack of coordination. So if you notice any of these things happening, immerse your dog in cold water and then contact your vet right away now exercise a dog or a cat's normal body temperature is between 101 and 102 degrees fahrenheit in warm weather he may become overheated or he might be just overly stressed so you want to make sure again that you can cool him down animals don't perspire like humans in fact my potbelly pig doesn't Perspire at all. So, that can in just a day they can die of uh, heat exhaustion. So, um, because of that, they pant to release the heat from their body. So, you want to limit the vigorous exercise with your pets, such as jogging or, you know, playing ball or frisbee or taking them on long walks. And you could do the walks in the very early morning or the late hours of the night when it's cooler. Now, if you're in an area where there's thunderstorms, you want to keep your dogs and cats in a safe place because, uh, during the safe thing, because the noise and the lights really frighten an animal. In fact, our, it was interesting. Our big dog, Wolf, who's 165 pounds, who was part Wolf and, and part White Lab, he absolutely was frightened to death of, of thunderstorms and lightning, just Cried and would hide. Whereas Heather's little three pound chihuahua could care less. So it doesn't really matter how big, you know, and brawny and macho the dog is when it comes to thunderstorm, they can get scared. So you just want to protect them from it. You don't want them to bolt out the door or to go out the window, or, you know, and get hurt or to get lost. So as always, you want to make sure that your pet has uh, identification. So if you live in an area where there's county identification, make sure to do that. Um, but in any case, always have a tag on it. Then you the, something in the summer that's important is to protect your pet from pests. You know, there's lots more fleas and ticks. So it's not normal for your dog or your cat to have fleas. They're really an annoyance to them and to us, and they're a health hazard. And they can transmit internal parasites such as tapeworms. So some pets are allergic to the bites of fleas and they develop severe itching and then their their hair falls out or their fur falls out. So you want to make sure that their skin isn't irritated or very red. So you want to keep the ticks and fleas away from them. And be careful. Unfortunately, you don't have to travel to the woods for your dog or cat to become infected with fleas or be bitten by a tick carrying a serious disease such as Lyme disease. It can happen right in your backyard. Like ticks, they just they're actually on the plants waiting for some blood, and if your dog or your cat walks by, they'll just jump into their fur or their hair. So you definitely always want to check them for it. Now prevention is key. So it is much easier and less costly than ridding your home and yard of fleas. You can k- keep them indoors, of course, but if that's not the option, talk to your veterinarian about a high quality flea and tick repellent for your dog or your cat. It's really important if, you know, to put that as number one on your pet project list of, to helping your animals. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, um, uh, cats. I mean, they are related to lions and tigers. Not bears, leopards, all big cats. Because all cats have highly sophisticated senses. And it is said that um, the pussycat really is related to the king of the jungle. Scientists report that all house cats are descended from five African wildcats that lived in the Near East around 8,000 B.C. Now, they can hear, see, and smell better than we can. And cats, because they have whiskers, They serve as an extra sensor. So using their whiskers on the sides of their nose, their mouth, and above their eyes, the cats can determine the height of the grass, the width uh, or the space under a rock, and whether a bedroom door can be pushed open or not. Now, do they roar or purr? Well, of course, we know that the big cats, you know, like lions and tigers, they roar and they don't purr. The small and the medium cats purr and they don't roar. But all of them can hiss, and they make these growling sounds because the structure of the bones at the base of the throat determines the sounds that cats make. And did you know that indoor house cats and big cats in captivity can live to 14 years for males and two or three years longer for females? We had a cat live to 21 years. Of course, all our animals live, it seems, really long lives. We're sad when we lose them, but they usually live longer. I think it's because they have a lot of fresh air and a lot of exercise and and good food and property to roam. Now, most cats are nocturnal. They tend to be more active at night. And they have uh, rough tongues, which are really good for grooming themselves and their offspring. And, of course, they lick your owners, too. And they love to sleep in the sun and stretch and then kind of dream some more. Now, most of us are probably never going to get the opportunity to hug a lion or a tiger, or if we did, we may not live to see, uh, you know, hear about it. But in any case, just know that your your little pussy cat is related to the king of the jungle. And big cats, medium cats, and little cats all share the similar um, anatomy, and they're all carnivorous. So cats of all sizes have rounded heads. They all have sharp teeth, flexible bodies retractable claws except for cheetahs and they have dew claws on the front paws and a nail on the inner side of each foot. So that's just a little bit about your about dogs and cats. So what do you do if you're going away on vacation? Do you let your animals home alone? That's always a big question because summer can be a really really busy time of year as are all the winter holidays too but i thought i'd provide some tips on how to manage your furry feathered or scaled friends uh care while you're away now who should take care of your pets while you're gone this is really an important question and there are several options including you can have a boarding kennel you can ask a family or a friend you can hire a pet sitter to come to your house or your veterinarian can probably provide a list of boarding facilities and some vets, like my vet, they actually take dogs and cats and um, and some vets will actually cater to birds. If your pet receives medication or requires any special care, you want to leave specific and detailed instructions regarding the type of medication, the dose, and the frequency. You also want to make sure that that you're going to leave them enough food uh if it's a cat cat litter if it's a hamster you want to have the hamster shavings etc to cover all the time that she'll be gone now if you want to show your pet sitter specifically how to administer the medication she or if she is not familiar with it you really should do that beforehand so that they can become comfortable with that An older pet might require more care. For instance, if you have a senior large breed dog and your pet sitter is not staying overnight, he or she may need to check on your dog a couple of times during the day to make sure the dog has the opportunity to go outside, to move around, to make sure all the food has been consumed. And it's a good idea to make provisions with your pet caretaker for emergency or urgent veterinary care. You'll want to write a signed letter, leave it with your pet sitter or the boarding house, That has all your information, your travel dates, your contact info, and all your veterinary information in case that a vet uh, visit is going to be necessary. You want to give them the responsibility to take care of your pet. Now, if you want someone other than your pet sitter to authorize medical treatment, leave that individual's contact information as well. It's really important to include a brief statement regarding how you'd like your pet sitter to proceed. With authorizing veterinary care. I know that when we have been gone, we have had, um, unfortunately, we've had, a, you know, an animal die or an animal get sick and a pet sitter had to take care of it. So you want to make sure that you've given them the authorization and that they're comfortable with making any decisions and that you're comfortable with them making a decision. And if there's a money limit, for example, if, um, if, your cat gets run over and you have to take the pet sitter has to take the cat to the vet. You may want to say, I authorize up to five hundred dollars in spending because you know, as we know, a bill could be several thousand. Only you can determine how much you want to spend. So you you really need to let your pet sitter know that. So think of this kind of like an advanced health care directive for your pet in the sense that you provided a guideline for your pet sitter and your vet to follow. And you might want to have a conversation with your veterinarian prior to departure to clarify any of your statements and alert your veterinarian as to your desire, especially if you are really particular about what happens with your pet or pets. And um, you might want to make a copy of your authorization and ask your vet to keep it on file for you. So in emergencies, most vets will provide life-saving measures without any specific authorization from the owner. However, for your pet's sake, for your pet sitter's sake, and for your peace of mind, it's better to be prepared. So I always like to say it's better to be safe than to be sorry. So w- these are just a couple of pet projects that you can get uh, going now in case you're getting ready for vacation. And of course, they don't only apply to summertime. They can apply to all year long. So you want to take care of your pet. Remember your pet is part of your family. And if you are actually taking your pet with you, on your trip, if it's a road trip, you'll want to provide all the packing that your pet will need and plenty of water that you'll be able to give your pet along the road. And if you're flying with your pet, make sure you check with the airlines in ahead of just packing your pet up to see if you have to bring any particular documentation, rabies shot, um, or any authorizations with you. So when we come back from break, we're going to be going into the garden now and we'll be talking about some personality plantings and how you can have some delicious summer vegetables, fruits and herbs that you will have now will keep you healthy and things that you can sow for the fall so that you can continue this healthy summer eating I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style Be the Star You Are. This is an empowerment hour of health, of animal care, and of gardening. So stay with me. I'll be right back. Now you
0: don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or
1: Android Market.
0: Business bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan.
1: Just like there are personal trainers at the gym, there are personal trainers for careers. Executive coaches help everyone from CEOs to the young entrepreneur set priorities and follow through on business plans. Good career coaches ask questions about your values and goals and help you to devise a plan to meet them. Then they motivate you to focus and encourage you to achieve your dreams. Today's coaches will work with clients not only on job challenges but also family issues social lives, artistic aspirations, and spiritual needs. Good coaches ask lots of questions. Before hiring a coach, make sure you are the one that asks the questions and get references from satisfied customers. The profession is not yet licensed or regulated, but a good coach will help you make a change for the better and turn your life around. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passion into profits. And if you're looking for a coach, contact Star Style Productions, 925-377-STAR or starstyle.us.
0: Turn up the volume, grab a seat, and get ready to be challenged, inspired, and motivated to greatness. It's power party time on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with your hosts, the mother-daughter dynamic duo, Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany.
1: Well, thank you for staying with us. We are going into the garden for some personality planting to keep you healthy and to give you some delicious food that is just bursting with nutrients. I mean, nothing says summer like a garden with fresh vegetables, herbs, and fruits. I mean, every day I go before I cook dinner, I just go into the garden, see what's ripe, and that's what the dinner is going to be that night. Now, one of my favorites straight from the dirt are tomatoes. With And I actually like to eat them while I'm standing in the garden. Just a pinch of basil or rosemary. Now, a handful of studies show that the ubiquitous fruit vegetable, by the way, it is classified as both. It is a fruit, a tomato is a fruit and a vegetable. Not only guards against several types of illnesses, but it may reduce your risk of heart disease, osteoporosis, and even diabetes. Now, if that's not a reason to plant a tomato and to eat more tomatoes. I don't know what else is. Now, i got to admit, I cannot eat tomatoes from the store. I have, those are always picked green, just FYI, and there's just no flavor in them at all. Um, you might as well be eating cardboard. So I am a snob about a few things in life, and tomatoes is one of them. So I have to grow my own or I get them from my mom. Now, the primary nutrient behind tomatoes' healing power is a lycopene. It is a powerful antioxidant that works by neutralizing the free radicals. Those are those errant oxygen molecules that cause uh, the cellular damage in the body. Well, research has shown that eating foods high in lycopene protects against a wide range of cancers, including prostate cancer, lung cancer, even breast cancer. Now, tomatoes also help prevent heart attacks, and that's primarily because tomatoes lower cholesterol. There was a study done that said that drinking 13 ounces of tomato juice daily for three weeks lowered your bad cholesterol by almost 13%. That's that LDL. But the preliminary research also suggests a link between dietary lycopene and increased bone mass. So although it may not be the tomato's only star nutrient, another appears to be the uh, oxo. It's called the 9 oxo acid which researchers in Kyoto University in Japan found lowers cholesterol and fat in the bloodstream and left unchecked these lipids lead to such diseases as arteriosclerosis and even type 2 diabetes. So you want to have two or more servings of tomatoes every week. That would be optimal. And you can have tomato salsa. You can make a great salsa by chopping up your uh, tomatoes. You can seed them. Dicing some red onion. Of course, you want to add garlic and some cumin. And I like cilantro a lot. So I put in about a cup of fresh cilantro that I picked from the garden. I think it tastes delicious when you add mango to it. If you want to have, um, have it be spicy, add a jalapeno pepper or, you know, chopped up. And I always, I have a lot of Meyer lemons. So I do the Meyer lemons and It's just very low in calories, only about 27 calories for that great salsa. And it is just packed, packed with antioxidants and good vitamins for you. So if your personality is that that likes it spiced up, try that. Now, what about for the fall? Like this time of summer, mid to late summer, is just the ideal time to start Thinking about your fall garden, in most areas of the country you can grow a second season of your favorite cool uh, season vegetables and also f- uh, fall flowers. Now, in mild winter areas, you can even grow more of your garden favorites to harvest later in the fall. Sometimes, especially here in California, we can harvest into winter and even next spring. For example, I have Swiss chard and sorrel um, and lettuces all year long. They never stop. I just keep, um, I keep sowing them in intervals. So I I sow every few weeks and then I constantly have them. But now is the time to gear up for some of the best growing weather of the year, which uh, there's going to be some cool weather ahead. So we want to take advantage of what we've got now. So what do you want to grow? Well, a lot of casual gardeners don't even bother to plant later in the summer because they think that a garden is something that has to be planted in the spring. But that's wrong. Don't even think that. That is a kind of a failure thought or a fear of failure is probably the primary reason that home gardeners don't want to use seed at, at this time of the year. So to help gardeners gain some confidence, I want to give you a few of the uh, varieties that are so easy to grow. And these grow really well from seed. And I, I am one of those people that I do plant seed. I prefer to plant Plants, because then I can see exactly where I'm sowing things. But these things do grow great from seeds, so I'll encourage that. And that are those are beets and calendula. Now, calendula is the flower. I call it uh, poor man's saffron. It's a bright orange or yellow. You use the petals in uh, salads, and I also use it in cooking because it does have a hint of a saffron flavor. But of course, it is ubiquitous, so it is very inexpensive. Uh, cilantro, kale, lettuce, peas, radishes, all different kinds of salad greens, spinach and Swiss chard. These are all very easy to grow by seed. Uh, so is parsley. As you notice, most of the things I'm talking about, except for the radishes, the beets, um, kale and peas, they're mostly just greens. So the cilantro, the salad greens, the spinach, the Swiss chard. Uh, the other thing that's easy is the sorrel to grow. And I, I'm not. I have to come up with some sorrel recipes. I have a friend from Russia who's crazy about it, and she um, cooks sorrel all the time. It's a really a bitter, a bitter, bitter green. But I love to add it to salads. So even where winters are cold and the ground freezes, a lot of vegetables can still be grown to maturity before that first frost. So in addition to the ones that I just mentioned, you may want to try broccoli, carrots, cabbage, and arugula. Now. My arugula was fabulous uh, this year, and that just adds, you know, that wonderful spiciness to a salad. It's it is it's very peppery. It's really good. So, when choosing your varieties, you want to select ones that are fast maturing. So, just read on the package, um, on the back, because you want your harvest to happen before the first frosts hit. So, depending on where you live, you can find out what you're going to want to do. Now consider extending your plantings even even more if you want to grow your crops under cold frames or with row covers. That's we don't do that very much here because we don't have that cold of winters, but you know in Minnesota and Michigan and New York where they do get really cold winters, cold frames are the way to go. Now is also a good time to start seeds of the flowering perennials that you like, and you want to sow them in the fall, and then they'll be ready to start follow uh, to start um, blooming by next spring and next summer. So think about what perennial flowers you really like. Like some of the ones that um, that I have really liked is I love Penn stamen. I really like lavender. Now lavender just seems to grow and grow. No matter what, and it is maybe the one deer-resistant uh, flower I have found. I don't think there's anything deer-proof. I have had, I have planted all kinds of deer-resistant flowers, and the deers just still seem to eat them. But I haven't had them eat my lavender, so that's a good one. They do eat penstemon though. So think about what flowers you like and get them in. Uh, get them in now, and in mild winter areas, you also may want to start uh, planting your onions, your leeks, and your parsley. And then the seeds of annual flowers that thrive in cool weather can be sown right now for fall and spring. So that's like candy tough or stock or if you like sweet peas. I mean, who doesn't like the smell of sweet peas? They're so beautiful. Or alyssum. The key to growing vegetables for fall harvest is timing. So you're going to want to back crack is what you do vegetables grown in the season they need about 14 extra days to mature compared to when you're planting in the springtime and that's because fall has shorter days the soil is cooler and the sun isn't quite as warm as it is right now so when deciding the date to start your next vegetable planning you want to determine the, your average first frost date so for in california it usually doesn't get cold till around Thanksgiving time that's I mean I'm talking about San Francisco area so I could check to see how many days that is and then I go backwards to plant then you wanna check maybe with a local garden center so go to your garden center and talk to them and say you know when do you think I should plant this now always add a couple of weeks to that number because you want to make sure for errors. And we all, you know, we don't know. Mother Nature is always in charge. That's the only thing that we do know. So growing on, remember that sowing seeds or setting out transplants in midsummer is a little more stressful on the young plants than seeding during the cooler winter or spring weather. So you're going to want to remember to keep the soil moist as the seeds are germinating, I, I recently, um, even though I had uh, sown some zinnia seeds, they didn't all come up. So I bought a couple of six-packs of zinnias and planted them this week because I love their colors and they're like an old-fashioned flower. But it's been really hot. It's been in the 90, you know, 90, 95. And even though I water them, they're not thriving. So I have to really, for the first couple of weeks that they're in the ground, make sure that I keep them moist. Otherwise, they're going to dry up, shrivel up, and just die. So your your seeds aren't going to germinate either unless they're moist. And any young seedlings, you want to protect with either a shade cloth or plant them near some taller plants like um, corn, if you you have corn growing, or your tomatoes, again. And that will provide shade from that hot afternoon sun. Or another idea is you could start your seeds or seedlings in a pot and then put them in a bright light and then transplant them once they they get a little bushier and, and heavier and, and they seem like they're really ready to go. And this works well for crops, you know, like lettuce and spinach whose seeds don't germinate as well when the soil temperatures are high. So. With all of that, if you make sure to keep them shaded, to keep them uh, moist, and to also keep any slugs or bunnies or rabbits, you know, or deer away from them, you should have a good fall harvest. And with a little effort just this summer, you'll have a really splendid bushel of vegetables and flowers in the fall because cool, loving, uh, crops like kale and lettuce and spinach and broccoli, they'll thrive in those lower autumn temperatures. So you can be healthy. You can continue having some really great food through the fall. And if you like to can or you like to freeze, you could put stuff away so that you would be able to have things for the winter. So hopefully that is just gives you a little bit of, um, interesting of interesting planting for your own personality. And I just, before, I, we're going to get ready to go here, but I wanted to just read you one little story that I got from Alan Cohen, which I love. And they we're talking about a Baja expedition and where there was a humpback whale that was entangled in fishing nets. And, of course, I've been in that kind of situation. And what he said is, that when we go and we capture other people in in our nets to the point that our fins are pinned in, we can't negotiate the movement we desire and deserve. So some of us may even feel suffocated to the point of near death. So we don't want to suffocate uh, each other. Well, I want to thank you for being great listeners and allowing us into your life each week. Thank you to my engineer, Justin, for making us sound good. For more information about Star Style, go to starstyle.us or you can purchase any of our books at be bethestarur.com. And until we are together again next week, become the star of your own life. Know you already are a star and that you are a wonder of creation. We hope that we have encouraged you, inspired you, informed you and motivated you to have a healthy week and a healthy life Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate every moment of your life. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thanks for joining me and be the Star You Are. We'll talk next week.
0: Be the Star You. Are, the Star You are.